The views you're about to hear on the Dr. Plus podcast are those of the individual participants and not their employers, any other organization, or the American College of Physicians. So let's get to it. Welcome to Dr. Plus, the podcast where we explore the hobbies, activities, and adventures outside of medicine that make our friends and colleagues truly amazing. I'm Saganish, an academic internal medicine and public health doctor practicing in St. Paul. And I'm David, an internal medicine doctor practicing hospital and clinical medicine in downtown Minneapolis. We recognize our colleagues for their clinical work, research, or incredible academic achievements, but we often don't get to hear about the other sides of their lives, their pluses. Here on this podcast, we get to spend a few minutes getting to know each other in a new way. Guys, today I'm so excited because I get to introduce you to one of my really good friends, Ankit Mehta. I like to say Ankit and I met in Minnesota, but our friendship really bloomed in Ukraine, where we were there doing some teaching for IOM through the University of Minnesota. Uh, We're really excited for him to be here. We're going to get to talk to him about his passion and art and narrative medicine. Um, He has a million exciting stories to tell us, and we're excited to get to hear some of them. So Ankit, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Saganesh. This is such a joy to be here with you and David. I just want to start by asking you, let's let's do the clinical job first. What do you do on your day-to-day? How do you spend your time? I am a hospitalist. I work with uh, health partners. And so Regents Hospital is my home. And uh, yeah, so I'm an internist by training and a, and a hospitalist. Ankit, you have a whole bunch of pluses. And we're trying to delve into the what all the extra activities that people do. So tell us a little bit more about how you get into narrative medicine. And frankly, what is it? I'll I'll just say that by nature of my job, by being a hospitalist, I work 24 weeks a year, and then it frees up 28 weeks in life to kind Mm -hmm. of pursue your passions. And while early on in my life, uh, these were siloed, as I travel more, as I read more, as I find more passions, I feel like they started to feed my professional life as well. Hmm. And and I started to use these things um, to become hopefully a better professional, a be- better clinician. And just as life experiences and such, I think you accumulate all of those and it, it kind of starts to make their way into your professional life. Tell us a little bit about some of those. So talk a little bit about how you got into some of the educational work that you do at Regents, some of the literature work, storytelling, improv, all that kind of stuff that you did through your educational work at Regents. Talk more about that. So about 10 years ago, I was tasked to start a communication and empathy program for our fellow clinicians. And as we know that, I mean, there's such an epidemic of burnout. So my very good friend now, uh, Dr. Brett Hendel Patterson, and I kind of came together and we started this program called CRAVE. So it's Communication, Resilience, Authenticity, Vulnerability, and Empathy. And it was an experiential course for our fellow clinicians. And that kind of launched me on a journey and started to think about empathy and how we use that in our day-to-day lives, uh, in our professional roles. And then came medical improv in my life. Uh, About eight or nine years ago, I took this sensational course at Northwestern. And this remarkable professor, Dr. Watson, who has background with Second City, kind of has this course that I went and took. And it was just an interesting way of thinking about all these skills we use in our day-to-day lives, uh, in, in our professional roles, and 
how we can bolster our our skills using these things. And then that led into uh, narrative medicine, and I eventually stumbled into graphic medicine and how I use that into my daily lives. Wow, we got a lot to talk about there. But you said Second City. You, you know, I've been at Second City in those little tables, you know, where it's comedy improv in Chicago. And so that that's what you're referring to, right? You're talking about like comedy improv. Yes, the the comedy mecca, uh, Second City, and it's a it's a really beautiful movement in in medical education called medical improv. I think improvisation is about spontaneous adaptation. It's about venturing into the unknown and honing our skills of connecting. And I think we are all improvising, right? We are improvising right now. I don't know what you're asking me and how I'm talking. And so I think we are improvising, but medical improv is a movement where you use the principles of improvisation in in healthcare context to hone in your skills of connection, of communication. And the idea is not to become a performer. The idea is to tap into that improviser's mindset and carry that sensibility with you. And I mean, in a way, it's just a fancy way of saying it grounds you, you're present, you're listening to what's being spoken to you, and and you're constantly in connection with whoever around you. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Because that you are right. Every time we're with a patient or a family, you are you're making it up as you go and you're trying to adapt to the to the person sitting in front of you. I hadn't thought though how the, those skills that you might learn at a comedy improv school transfer to medicine. Talk to me if you could about how do those skills transfer? You learn medical improvisation through experiential learning. So you you learn by doing. You play these games, you uh, you learn these improv exercises and then there's a debrief. And then you make connections. I mean, that's how we are teaching medical improvisation to medical students uh, and our residents at the university. And it's it's quite a fascinating way of learning or looking at these skills through a different lens, through an improviser skills. And and to your point, David, you know, you're I have a role and I have my uh, kind of costume that I have my lab coat and I'm in my physician role, and so is the patient or the family. But it's all of that is unscripted. And med improv kind of teaches you how to do unscripted collaborative storytelling at the best of your capacity. So, Ankit, I think of improv as comedy and hysterically funny and laughing. Do you bring comedy in to medical improv? No. So medical improv is often considered as a kind of instructive dive into laughter and positivity. But the idea is not to generate comedy. I mean, our professional roles demand so much of us, and there's nothing funny or comedic about our you know, role as physicians. So while learning improv, there's a lot of fun to be had. But the idea is not to make you funny or to make you a performer. The idea is to become the best that you can be in your relational skills. So then what happens, Ankit? Because I actually didn't know you were doing med improv. We had gotten to know each other in other ways and worked on other projects together, which we'll get into. So what happens? How how does that lead to the next thing and then eventually into the graphic medicine, which is what we want to talk about? I started to appreciate with, with all the crave work and med improv work, the power of how art can impact medicine. I just, by happenstance, during pandemic, fell into graphic medicine unwittingly, not even knowing that it's called graphic medicine. And and I can tell you the story of how I had to kind of learn this 
language of graphic medicine. So the time was onset of pandemic. This is March 2020. Uh, all of these wonderful educational movements and things and all the buzz and activity, all of them kind of just became silent, right? And then we were sitting in this space of terror, abject terror and uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And, and we all can think of that time, March, April was just a tough time for all of us. And so in that space, I felt as COVID pandemic kind of started to ramp up, we were seeing as we started to get the first wave, these really powerful, poignant experiences uh, at the bedside where you were seeing patients, first of all, their sense of isolation was something I was very cognizant of. What really put the spirit through my heart was the fact that you know patients could not be with their families and some were sick and some died. And and all we had was this puny iPad that we could put in front of the families and, and how loaded those phone conversations were. So I don't know. I think with what was happening during pandemic around the world in the country here and and being on the ground, on the front lines, if you will, I just I think I had just had this kind of cocktail of emotions that I just did not know how to articulate. And I had, you know, time again, time and again, I had experiences where I had to call the families and say, so-and-so, your loved one is sick, and oh, they are going to die, and then they are dead. And and it is so uh, hollowing, you know, to have those conversations and to have the families wail. Sometimes they'll plead, they'll bargain, they'll say, can I just come in once? Can I just say goodbye? Um, yeah, it was it was very painful. And so I tried my hand at writing these experiences, and and none of that captured what I really wanted to convey. And and this was not a grand plan of conveying it or publishing it or sharing it, but it was, I really just wanted that out of me and to process, first of all, what I was experiencing. And when I would read these narrations, I just didn't think it was, it relayed, it was coming close to what I was experiencing. And so I, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm an artist. Uh, I, I dabble, I'm an art enthusiast. So I thought I would just uh, draw out this one story that, that just wouldn't let go. And it kind of became sort of a compilation of all these unresolved losses that, you know, we were kind of bearing witness to. And and so I kind of sketched out this one story and um, just not knowing what I was doing. And then I wanted to just put that away. And some friends saw it and said, you should just submit this. And I sent it to JAMA. I'd never seen JAMA publish any graphic work. And lo and behold, they, they accepted it. So you, Ankit, you got accepted to JAMA, and for listeners, that's the premier medical journal pretty much in the world, with a graphic story. What was that story about? The story that I captured was me kind of taking care of this elderly woman who is sick with COVID and the conversations with her family. And and in that particular story that I drew was her daughter. And I mean, for some reason, this, this is a side note, there's always a wonderful daughter who's advocating for their parents. There's never a son. So so I think there was a recurring kind of denominator. <laughs> and if a daughter show up, you have to be, you know, <laughs> to best game. And I kept on thinking about how my parents are in India. And I thought of how, how would that play out for me? In those situations, you can say much. What can you say that can make things better? Mm-hmm. I was also very, like, a whole host of us who are who were working, you know, the what was the, the the political discourse and conversation around 
COVID-19 was become more and more politicized. Yeah, so it was just a difficult time. And then that story laid out my experience of of having these conversations. It just walks you through that one story of what it means to take care of someone who's dying alone and, and also who doesn't even get the dignity of touch. Because a lot of these people who were left in the emergency room and then went to their hospital rooms, people showed up with these kind of gowns. Uh, and yeah, I, so I was very touched by a few points of just these people did not even get the dignity of touch, uh, how austere their deaths, their departures were, and the grief uh, of family members and how inconsolable they were. Uh, so it was just a way of articulating all of that. And then in the end, I also just, I think the acid that was building in me, I had to throw in just the the political discourse of then, you know, you work and you have these experiences, you step out and it's complete madness what's happening around. Like people are not appreciating what what is the the reality. So it was just a way to articulate that. And I initially called it like nighttime uh, with exit wounds. And it's a, a, a poetry collection by Ocean Wong. The background that I chose was all black and and the images kind of stand out. Yeah, it was just to signify that nighttime, but apparently uh, JAMA editor just accepted without any changes, but came back and saying there's a poem, it's called Self-Portrait with Exit Wound, and wanted to name it that. And so I had to I had to cave in and and self-portrait kind of felt a bit self-indulgent. Because in a way I'm I'm sketching myself as the physician who is walking through the story. So it, it was published as self-portrait with exit wounds. That resonates with me. I remember those years. It was just a few years ago, like it was yesterday. I remember having a conversation with a man with COVID-19, a conversation with him. We, he was eating French toast. It was at breakfast. And he said, doctor, am I gonna, am I gonna make it? And I knew full well this man was not gonna make it. He had hours, maybe days, and sure enough, he didn't live till lunchtime. And none of us, including me and you and all of us, had any experience really with this. It was a new thing, a new disease. There was no textbook. And I remember thinking, what are we gonna think of ourselves in five, 10, 20 years when we're allowing people to die alone? And is there anything we can do about that? So what you're saying, hits me. That is very, that just resonates with me and that you were able to put that down in art. Have, have you continued that? Have you continued along with graphic medicine? Are you still doing it? Yes, yes, very much so. And, uh, and it's funny, then you put something like this out in the world, you know, and I truly felt like I was the, the lone person who's just prowling this wilderness, you know, and it, it just turns out that graphic medicine is a very organized um, uh, discipline. So first of all, graphic medicine is a term that was coined by this phenomenal Welsh uh, physician, uh, Dr. Ian William. And he is a physician and an artist and has written two graphic novels. And so it is the intersection of health with comics. So it attracted people uh, from all walks of life. So not only just clinicians who want to tell their story uh, of caregiving, but then patients who want to tell their experiences and stories of illness and artists. And so it's it's just such a beautiful intersection of medicine, arts, humanities, and how it is supplemented visually and verbally. And sometimes it cuts through, like a surgical scalpel, things that words fail to relay. Uh, and therein lies the power. So after that JAMA piece, I then realized, oh my God, I'm part of this community. And it's 
it's really, really fantastic. And and there are people who are running graphic medicine courses for, for trainees, for medical students. It just opened up an entire world for me. So much of what you said is interesting, but how this is starting to gain traction, because at the last uh, ACP conference, there was a whole workshop on use of graphic graphic medicine and how you use pictures and images to be able to relate to these things where words often fail us. You have this image in your head that really tends to represent or be better able to say what, what we feel, but we can't express. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we talk in metaphor and allegory and we, and we try to paint pictures for our patients, but medicine does lay bare human emotions and the foundations of who we are. And you are able to put that graphically absolutely fascinates me. Anka, did you have skills as an artist? Because what it struck me is that I don't. I'm terrible. I, I'm, I, I've got some <laughs> other skills, I hope, but I can't draw worth a hoot. <laughs> and so... I, I could appreciate art. You said I'm an appreciator mm-hmm. of you art, are. but you're also an artist. Were you skilled at art prior to medicine, or did you pick pick up skills along the way? This is not for humility, David. It's it's immature hour. I mean, I've always sketched and painted, but I think to call yourself an artist, <laughs> I I wouldn't go that far. I think it's artiste. <laughs> artiste, yes. Uh, sorry. Artiste, yes. See, I can't even like pronounce that correctly. Um, so certainly can't call myself that. But I feel that's another thing, the myth-busting uh, with graphic medicine movement and people who are much wiser, who have written and spoken and have led this movement for 10, 15 years. Um, in fact, in one of these courses, they say, first, start reading graphic material, then start drawing. It could be a figure stick drawing. I mean, it just, it basically supplements narrative medicine. So sometimes you draw something and it reveals to you what you may not even have conscious understanding of. So it's also a very beautiful way of processing, not only caregiving experience, but, you know, we are all human. I mean, we also suffer, we have illnesses, we have loved ones. So I think it's just a very beautiful way of, uh, of, of processing a whole host of things. So how do you do that, Ankit? How do you find time, space, skills? Do you take classes? How do you go about sort of really tapping into this tool that you have in graphic medicine? So I have no formal training. I'm just making it up as I go along. The fun part is it's a very forgiving space. I mean, I'm not creating high art. I'm not, as we established, artiste. Uh, so it, there's no <laughs> pressure, right? And But also I find, you know, even with that little story and then the future works that I, I did and the works I'm doing right now, just the act of creation is a masterclass in perspective. Mm. As how mm. you're going to frame, how you're going to tell, where do you zoom in, where you zoom out, whose story you're telling. It forces you to think. I mean, unless you actually start to challenge yourself to do it, I felt like I would never think about it. Hmm. And and also, what a masterclass in empathy. Like you really have to think through emotions and what have you and, and, and someone else's experiences. Masterclass in empathy is a wonderful phrase. Mm-hmm. It, it leads me to, to ask, how do you use graphic medicine, one, with patience to, to inform your practice? But then secondly, how does it inform or guide your own personal life? In other words, what's in it for you kind of a thing? No, thank you. I think that's such a beautiful question. So first and foremost, I feel like as as clinicians, as physicians, you know, we get the front row seat to human drama unfold, right? But I feel like I at least 
in my earlier years of practice did not appreciate sort of the the depth of that experience and the poetry of medicine that you're out there upfront. Graphic medicine is a great tool for uh, humanizing illnesses, understanding human nature, you know, empathy, and so on and so forth. So certainly it plays into me trying to put myself in someone else's uh, situation. So that in itself is a very rich space to go in and tap into. And then uh, kind of what the JAMA story we were talking about is the idea of uh, caregiving experience, how I uh, experience or feel. Because, I mean, we are so overt to talking about our fields. At least med school, medical training did a great job of evaporating that out of me, right? Mm -hmm. Like we just Mm -hmm. march on. It's a tough training. You keep your head down. We used to teach that. We used to teach that, right? And it's all about this intellectual vigor, this this intellectual sweat. So to me, it's it's also a way of again deepening my uh, my understanding and and starts to supplement and feed your your clinical brain as well, mm-hmm. and and you take on that role. So I also think so. Processing your experiences as a caregiver, it's a rich space to go in and and tap into. I also think generally just the commentary, uh, how you can really make bold, beautiful, incisive commentary on what's happening around you. And you can connect so many dots in that one image, you know, or you can attempt, but I think you would fail in words mm. uh, as I'm feeling right now. <laughs> and and then learning things like, you know, how do we process uncertainty, how we develop? I mean, I think a lot of these soft skills that we kind of put that away, uh, humanities. So I, yeah, I think it's a wellspring of places that a gift that keeps giving and some that I didn't even capture. You know, you hear in like non-medical words about art as revolutionary, art as subversive, art as essentially rewriting this narrative that we have been given. And so this opportunity, I feel, I always say like, we are the aunties now. Like I'm not a medical student anymore. I'm not a resident. And I'm far along in my practice to start getting these lessons about what we're witnessing. And I, I can use words, but I can use art to reframe what does professional look like? What does caregiver look like? What are the systems that are at play that are making me, you know, affecting my practice? And so I see art and particularly the art of graphic medicine to be subversive and to be super accessible as well to a much broader audience. I completely agree. And so I think a big draw is accessibility, mm. right? Mm-hmm. I think the lessons of of loss and grief and poignancy and all of that can be so accessible. You look at those two pages and it just invites you into my headspace. It pushes you in the headspace of, of someone who's experiencing illness and, and it does, does something to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, yeah, it's, it's a, it's very accessible and what a, what a beautiful human space it creates. Uh, and by the way, this is also funny. I, I, for years, never, I thought, uh, graphic novels were kind of this low, lowbrow yeah. nonsense, <laughs> right? And because I was like, I read prose, you know, I read classics, this, that. And then a friend turned me on in, in 2015 or 16, just handed me this novel. And uh, since then, I, I just can't stop. And so I've read so many uh, biographies of artists and a lot of these graphic artists, they create the the biographies in the the visual style of like if it's a Monet's biography, mm-hmm. it would be in that style or color pattern and whatnot. So talk about accessibility. I mean, I can maybe read five biographies in a year, but I can go through 50. It's just such a powerful medium. What's next for Ankit Mehta? Are you going to write a novel? Funny you say that. I've been, I've been thinking. I, 
I'm trying to sketch out a few things, um, but it's it's a mammoth task and it's it's very challenging. And there are a million excuses that I keep finding to not do it, but I keep getting pulled into it. So I have a rough sketch of a few ideas that I'm working through. And meanwhile, kind of keep, keeping busy with other graphic works. We've got you on tape now saying that you've got <laughs> ideas going. We've got him on tape saying, I'm a very sure maybe. <laughs> <laughs> we'll play this back in, in the court of law. <laughs> When do you when do you do when do you do most of your non medical practice pursuits, including art? You know now, David, it's it has become very seamless. As I was saying earlier, you know, is my earlier years when I I didn't have a whole lot of experience, and when I used to be on service weeks, it was just an all encompassing experience that nothing else filled my life. And then it was I finished this, and then I go to this space where I go access art. I feel it's all seamless. And in fact, I'll say this, I've become better at uh, responding to to the inspiration. If it tugs at you, you just grab it because it goes away. It's so ephemeral. And so it could be that I'm on a, on a busy work week and I come in the evening and it's like 9, 9.30 and then I would still doodle a few things. And then there could be a, a fallow period, you know, where I may not do anything for, for days on. So now there's no a structured space where I have to go to. I could be traveling and and doing this. Uh, I could be on a plane and a train. Uh, so yeah, it's it's very fluid. Part of why I think this is so important is that I'm not an artist. I mean, I love art. I actually do take art classes, but it's not my primary form of expression. It really is storytelling. And storytelling is a very audible kind of media. And it was really fun to tell a story about my inner white man and just to tell it to Ankit. And I said, Ankit, let's make this into a graphic novel. And it was such an incredible, collaborative, creative process for me, like when we were doing it. And then to see the images really transformed even how I think about that story or the, the, the even the messages or even the point of views of those stories. So can you talk a little bit about that and what that process was like? And and then part two is what are your other collaborations? Because I think that's a really interesting space to explore as well. Oh, yeah. Thank you for that question. And so I'd say it was one of the most joyful things. It was the second more ambitious thing. So first with the JAMA story, I didn't know what I was doing. This one put some pressure on me. I think the story that you told was so beautiful and powerful and universal of the othering in medicine, right? And we can all relate to that. I think we could, we all have been in spaces where, you know, you can be slighted or or othered uh, in a way. So I felt so inspired by the words. And then the challenge was then to tell your story and treat it with respect and and talk about empathy. Like I, this was something that I am not uh, a female Black physician who's speaking about experience <laughs> and having an inner white man. <laughs> but it was so, uh, your story was so visual. So I just, while I was really freaked out, I wanted to challenge myself. So it was a great way for me to build my confidence. And, and mostly, you know, I, I'm in awe of, your story and you. So just wanted to honor that. I'm incredibly proud of how that work came out to be with the TPT video. And then finally, what was published in Annals. It's yeah, it's such a joy. It's the images that come to my head, Anka. When I think about that story, particularly the diacetyl picture, or the blue one where the the birds are flying out, that's what comes to my mind when I think of that. Those are the images that I was trying to paint with words. And so I, I really appreciated just your skill and talent. It was completely what I needed in that moment. It was so good, Anka. I remember hearing my inner white man that you did 
Saganish at a gathering, at an ACP gathering. I remember that first recitation of yours, and the fact that you have been able to put images to her story on Kit is a truly incredible relationship, an incredible collaboration. I applaud you both for it. Thank you. It was such a beautiful collaboration, and and also like I had to find a thread of feeling how you feel and what you're telling in that story, and then to to bring it to fruition was just super fun. And then to your question number two, I've I've submitted a few works that I have done uh, here and there, and what I'm actively working on and kind of flexing different muscles now. I've been part of a, a resiliency project. Uh, this work kind of came out of a grant with the University of uh, New Mexico. So there's a book that's coming out, and I had the great joy to write a chapter uh, on improv and, and uncertainty. And so I'm doing illustrations for that now. And so working with a publisher and, you know, working like what an illustrator would do and the the collaboration that we had kind of gave me confidence because each chapter has a different theme of inner uh, sources mm. of resiliency. So I'm actively working on that right now. And it's just such a great stress reliever as well after a long day of work. Lovely. Hankit, um this has been a treat for us to hear about you and graphic medicine. I I. I've been practicing over 20 years, and I don't know hardly anything about it. So I just really appreciate the, you know, hearing about what you're doing, especially as you're talking about the larger topic of art and medicine, which is something that is so important to me. So I love hearing your perspective on that. If you could leave our listeners with something about art and medicine and graphic medicine, what would that be? I would direct them to this website called graphicmedicine.org. And so this is the international collective of artists and physicians and nurses and other clinicians who come together. And it's an incredible space uh, where there are resources, uh, conferences, materials, podcasts, YouTube videos, and lists of graphic novels that one must read that kind of really bleeds into healthcare. So I would, I think that would be my my parting gift. Ankit Mehta. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your time and your art and your vision with us today. Thank you, David. And thank you, Siganish. Such a pleasure, my friend. Such a pleasure. So proud of everything you're doing. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dr. Plus. Dr. Plus is sponsored by generous funding from the American College of Physicians and is produced by Julie Sensuo.